and we come today to the sixth of seven studies. Here's the first answer to the first question, boys and girls, are on your page. Uh, the sixth of seven studies and foundations for life found in Genesis chapters 2 and 3, uh, finishing this series next week. And we have seen how foundational these chapters are for our lives. In any book, the opening chapters are foundational to the whole story. In those chapters, the main characters are introduced, the main themes are highlighted, the main plot is described. And if you want to read a book fast, as you know, we read the opening few chapters and the last few chapters. The Americans' latest book has been addressed in that fashion by myself. A practice abhorrent to the purists, but for a parent of four children, an essential practice. The closing chapters make no sense without the opening chapters. And so the opening chapters of our Bible are foundational to understanding the whole story of the Bible and the whole story of humanity. No more so than this element of our sinfulness. We've studied the foundational elements of our lives, of work, of identity, of the Sabbath day, of marriage, and of covenant in chapters 2. Chapter 3, two further foundations for living before the history of humanity takes off with Cain and Abel in chapter 4 and then on to Noah and so on in the rest of the chapters. Two foundational subjects appear in chapter 3, sin and grace. We cannot live well in our world without an understanding of these foundational elements of our life, sin and grace. That one act of sin, the first sin of the human being by Eve and then by Adam, has been repeated over and over by every human being. For all of us, the Bible says, have sinned. And so this element, this subject, this, this study today is relevant for us. It's in our life. It's in our family. It's in our neighbours, it's in our society. We cannot understand ourselves without understanding our sinfulness. Understanding about work, understanding about marriage, or understanding about our identity. It's not enough for a full understanding of who we are and how we operate. We have to understand our sinfulness as part of who we are. We want to think today of the characteristics of sinfulness found in verses 68 primarily as identified here. Our sinfulness, firstly, contradicts God's values, and that's question number three for the boys and girls. Our sinfulness contradicts God's values. The focus of the sin of Eve. The disobedience of Eve is the fruit of a tree which God commanded Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, do not eat of that tree. There was nothing, it seems, wrong with the tree. It was not poisonous. The command was purely a test of Adam and Eve's obedience. The tree is described in our verses as having commendable qualities. It was physically appealing. Eve saw that it was good for food in verse 6. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. She saw that it was desirable for acquiring wisdom. This tree was attractive. 
introspective, seemingly beneficial. That God is a test of humanity's obedience said, do not eat of that tree. The assessment which Eve had of this tree highlights the essence of sinfulness. Verse 6 says that Eve saw the tree, that it was good. This word good has been used extensively throughout Genesis chapter 1, hasn't it? Jews in verse 4, 10, 12, 18, 25, 31 of chapter 1, God made creation and he saw what he had made, that it was good. Here was God making a judgment call. God deciding on, on the moral, the, the ethical arrangement, the design of what he had created, that he determined in that chapter what was good. But here is Eve usurping God's position. She is looking at this tree which God has said regarding it, you shall not eat of it, and she is seeing that it is good. That it would be good for her. God has said, no, you shall not eat of it. Eve is looking at this tree and she is saying, yes, I will eat of it. And this highlights the essence of sinfulness. It is doing what God has forbidden us to do. It is not doing what God has commanded us to do. God has said, no, we say yes. God has said yes about our practice. We say no. God says, do not eat of the tree. Eve says, this is good for me to eat from. Sin contradicts God's values. The floor of the smoke bomb and the Japanese Prime Minister said yes to attacking the leader of Japan when the Bible says no, that we should respect our leaders. God said no, the attacker said yes. And that is the essence of our sinfulness. Every time we sin, we value what God forbids, or we do not value what he does value. Our yes in our life is to become the same as God's yes. And our no in our life is to become the same as God's no in our life. Our neighbour's wife is good in the sense of beautiful, fit, personable, intelligent. But God says, no, you cannot have her. That bread Ferrari is good in the sense of stunning, fast, comfortable, exhilarating. But God says to most of us, no, you cannot blow the family savings on it. Islam has discipline. It's a growing religion. But God says, no, you love Jesus. To say OMG is popular, a release of the surprise that has gripped you and elicits a laugh from your peers. But God says, no, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Sin contradicts the values of God. Sin says yes. 
to what God says no and says no to what God says yes. First John 3 that we read states sin is the transgression of the law of God. This is the nature of sin. It's not just a weakness in us. It's not just an illness that some people have. It's not just a regrettable part of evolved humanity. It's a contradiction of the law of God. And that's the seriousness of our sinfulness. God is our Lord. He is our judge. So sin is serious and needs to be repented of by every one of us. And forgiveness sought from God through Jesus. Our sinfulness contradicts God's values. God said no, he said yes. Secondly, our sinfulness seems attractive. <coughs> Despite the serious nature of sin, it appears attractive to us, doesn't it? The attractiveness of the forbidden fruit is stated in the words, it was pleasant to look at. It was one which would make one wise. Pleasant refers to its appearance. Make one wise refers to its effect. Sin was attractive to Eve. And sin is attractive to us. That's the incredible thing about it. It's serious. It brings us into trouble and judgment. And yet... It's attractive to us. Sometimes it's visually appealing uh, as this fruit tree was to eat. How often do we see some item in an advert and immediately an urge to get that item is felt within us. We grab our phones, we research it and immediately we order it whether we really need it or not. The telescopic hedge cutters, the garden seat, it's an impulse by, driven on by this sinful strain of covetousness, which is in each one of us. Sinfulness seems attractive. Sometimes its effect is the appealing thing. As, as Eve here, that this was a fruit which would make us wise. It would impact her life. It would transform her internally. And sometimes... That's the dimension of sin that's appealing to us. The high which alcohol and drugs brings to a person, it grips them and attracts them to it despite the destructive impact of it. The excitement, the adrenaline rush of gambling on the Grand National as many did yesterday is an appealing dimension of that sin. Sin seems to be attractive to us. The word desired in verse 6 is the same word used in the command, the last command in Exodus 20, you shall not covet. Here Eve was looking at this fruit. She was desiring it. She was coveting it. She was craving after something which God had forbidden for her. This is the essence of the sin of covetousness. It's the attitude that haunts us, that grips us, that drives us, that says, I need something I do not now have in order to be happy. Our sinfulness seems attractive. There's some concern over gel, nail varnish, I understand, causing allergies, seeping into the skin, affecting bones and preventing future operations. 
what appears attractive can be detrimental to us. Isn't this a, a mysterious thing about our sinfulness? It appears attractive. We only see the positive outcome in a sinful action before we sin, but then we are filled with guilt after we sin. How does this work? The attractiveness disappears. There's an immediate sense of regret that we have done the wrong thing. Why did I buy that? I don't really need it. I can't really afford it. There's an immediate emptiness after the action is committed. A lack of fulfillment wants us. What we envisage, we often fail to attain. So it was for Eve and Adam that sinfulness was appealing. But the reality was far from what they envisaged. Shakespeare's Macbeth, the murder, was to end all opposition and to bring peace to the castle and happiness to the family and, and an unhindered rule and reign instead. It brought mental torment, suspicion, and fractured relations. And that is what sin does to us. We need to, to think beyond any appeal, any attractiveness, any grip, any drive towards it. Think of the, the consequences and the reality that will haunt us after. To all married couples, let me think of this in the moment of temptation to say something cruel to our spouse. Think of the repercussions that will have. Theologians mention not only the guilt of our sin, but the pollution of our sin. The impact, the detrimental impact that sin has in our life, in our soul. Thirdly, our sinfulness is a voluntary act. Our sinfulness is a voluntary act. And this is question 12 for the kids. The description of the Bible's first sin is limited to eight words. She took of its fruit and she ate. In the, the Hebrew, uh, it's extremely difficult to pronounce uh, the Hebrew words, which slows the reader down. It seems deliberately to focus on this first sin. We don't know what the fruit was. Tradition has it as, a, as an apple. But the key point is this. That guilt is placed on Eve. She took. She ate. Our sinfulness. It's a voluntary action. It doesn't say the devil by his cunning temptation forced her to take. It doesn't say the devil by his cunning and trickery induced her into eating, but she took. She ate. It was her action. Whatever external influences there were, whatever temptations were surrounding her, the text says she took. She ate. Guilt, the responsibility for what she has done is laid squarely on her doorstep. She committed the sin. And this is a significant point. Because people ask, and maybe you're asking, why did God make human beings with the ability to sin? 
If we did not have that ability to sing like those in heaven now, like the angels before God, then there would be no sin or suffering or trouble in this world. God wanted willing, loving, obedience from us. That freedom that he gave us to choose or not to choose at the beginning results in personal guilt for our action. The young man, Shabazz Suleiman, tried in UK courts last week for belonging to IS, admits his responsibility for leaving the UK and going to Turkey and joining that group. His dad blames himself for buying him a phone when he was a teenager and allowing him to sit up in his room and claims that he was radicalised by Twitter. He he laments and bemoans his, his poor parenting in this regard, but the son blames no one else, only himself. She did. She ate. Genesis 3, 1 to 5 contextualizes Eve's sin. The verbal debate was Satan who roots the sin, but her guilt is clear. She did. She ate. You and I, we need to face this. There's guilt in our life. We have taken these voluntary actions and it is you and I who have committed iniquity, you and I who have wandered astray like sheep. We can't blame the church. We can't blame our parents. We can't blame our peers. There might be other detrimental influences on us, but ultimately the scripture says she took. She ate. You and I are guilty before God. We need to acknowledge our sin to him. And seek and find his forgiveness in Jesus. Hopefully, our sinfulness affects others. Verse 6. Eve gave the forbidden fruit to her husband. The woman doesn't try to tempt Adam. She simply gives the text says, And Adam takes. He doesn't challenge her action. He doesn't raise any questions about what she's doing. The woman allows her mind and her judgment to be affected by Satan's arguments and reason. But the man does not rebuke her. He does not reprove her. And her action affects others. What she did is replicated in another. Paul maintains in his writings in 1 Timothy 2.14 that Adam, he, he wasn't deceived. It was the woman who was deceived. Nonetheless, her sinful action is shared by Adam. He simply follows her example without hesitation. There's no suggestion of her using logic or using tears or any other means to make her husband sin. She eats the forbidden fruit. Then so does he. See in verse number 6, the phrase, with her. It suggests that Adam was present with her all the time to hear the dialogue between Eve and the serpent. John Currid comments, he was standing next to her, but not intervening in the situation. You in verses 1 to 5 is in the plural, suggesting Adam and Eve were present at this dialogue between Satan and Eve. Our sinfulness affects others. 
There is such a thing as a herd mentality. One person floats an idea in a room in a meeting, and all jump on the bandwagon. It's evident in the stock exchange when a stock suddenly spikes as GSP and Codal did last week, shooting up hundreds of a percentage. Some people are buying, other people's buying. The stock rises and then it falls just as quickly as it rose. The herd arrive and leave. Our sinfulness affects others. They can do within a church and within a family, within a workplace. Being negative, for example, can affect others and they can become negative about any situation. Are we critical of aspects of our congregation? Do you say over coffee, the deacons do nothing in our congregation? And others will say, right enough, they don't do very much. And before you know it, there's a wave of resentment against the deacons in the congregation. This is only an example. <laughs> what we need to say in that situation is something positive. Well, there's one always at the door. The church is always warm, perhaps too warm uh, sometimes. They develop the IT and the AV well. They do a great job with the food bank. It was good of them offering us financial support when we needed it. Our negativity can spawn negativity. Our positivity can encourage positivity. At our lunch table, we ask our children to tell us something good about their Sabbath school class, something good from the church service. Yes, there's failings in the sermon. The headings are maybe too long. The sermon, no doubt for some of you, is too long. But what good thing has come out of your Sabbath school class and your church service? Our life, our good, our bad, it will affect others. Eve took the forbidden fruit and she gave it to Adam. Our sinfulness affects others. And lastly, our sinfulness changes us. In verse 7, our sinfulness changes us. We're down at number 21 on the kids' sheet. The effect of sin is the opposite of what they thought it would be. They thought life would be better, life would be more wonderful, life would be deeper and fuller, but instead everything comes crashing down around them. The relationship with one another is distorted. This is emphasized by the words saw and knew in verse number seven. Eve was looking, she was seeing the forbidden fruit. She saw it was pleasant. She saw it could make one wise. She saw it was delightful to eat. That's what she saw before she sinned, but after she sins, she saw that they were naked. Sin changes their relation. Sin brings in this detrimental impact on their life. They knew the knowledge that they thought they would gain by eating the forbidden fruit, tempted by Satan. You will be like God's knowing good and evil. He says that's the knowledge that you will gain, a, a divine knowledge. Omniscience will come to you. But what they actually knew in verse 7 was something dark, something painful, something weak. Sinfulness changes us. 
instead of knowing good and evil, as promised by Satan, the new sinfulness and weakness in their life. And their relation with God was changed. They used to walk in the evening in the breeze of the day. And the word walk is, is intensive and extensive. They walk here and there. They walk continually. It's a phrase used of Enoch and of Abraham. People who walk with God and fellowship with him. And each evening it seems God perhaps in the theophany style would come down and, and would walk with him. But now they're hiding in the trees. They're, they're taking the, the fig leaves, those large leaves, the largest leaves of any tree, and, and, and they're tying these together, and perhaps they're making the apron from animal skin instead of going to meet God. They're running away from Him. Our sinfulness changes us in our relations with others in our relation with God. The incredible story of Garrett, Jack, Texiara, leaking top secret government documents was cause <coughs> concern and embarrassment for many countries. But among his last words, before his arrest, realizing that the game was up and the government was on to him, he said to his online group, This was never meant to happen. He thought it was a bit fun. Showing his power, his wisdom, his superiority to others. Though life would be wonderful, he would be a hero. Instead of this, he's arrested. He will be imprisoned. Our sinfulness changes us, not in a good way, but in a detrimental way. Brings devastation to our life. Our relationship with others is broken. Our relationship with God is damaged. It will bring eternal torments to us if we don't repent of our sin. And receive forgiveness through Jesus. Our sinfulness. Knowing our sinfulness is a humbling thing. But praise God, it's not a hopeless thing. Because Jesus stood where Eve and Adam stood, the head of a new humanity. Where they failed, Jesus succeeded. They were tempted, they were tested, they were enticed, and they yielded to the temptation. Jesus was tempted, Jesus was tested, Jesus was enticed, but he resisted the temptation. He lived sinlessly, as our reading in 1 John 3 stated, In him is no sin. But the cross, he took on himself our sinfulness, our law breaking. Our transgressions. If we come to him today, perhaps for the first time, perhaps for the thousand and first time, confessing our sinfulness, and by his grace receiving his complete and full forgiveness by the blood that he has shed on the cross.